Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 99. I'm your host, Dan Holzman. On this podcast, the special guest is juggler, inventor, innovative thinker, Amrin Rosval. Before I talk to Amrin about his magnet clubs or mirrored rings, let's thank our sponsor, the IJA, International Jugglers Association. Go to juggle.org to find out about this great group of jugglers. All right, enough brouhaha. Drop everything. Get ready for Amrin Rosval. Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 99. My special guest, Mr. Amrin Rosval. Am I pronouncing that right? Amrin Rosval. Uh, Amrin Rosval, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> say, it, say it for me one more time, please. Amrin Rosval. And uh, you're Swedish. Where were you born and uh, what year were you born? I was born in Östersund uh, in Sweden, 1988. And what was your upbringing like? Were your parents in show business at all or involved at the circus? No, it's like uh, I, I was brought up in, in the countryside, basically, and lower, uh, <laughs> lower class, I think, is basically my parents were just working uh, uh, nine to fives or so and that kind of stuff. And I was uh, going to school and um, it was a commute that was... I just want to get some background to see if, uh, you know, your family was involved with juggling at all, or you kind of discovered it on your own. Yeah, I discovered it much later. I discovered it when I was 16, so I was already moved out, basically. I was um, studying at, what what would that be, like college, I guess? In 16, we would call that high school. Like, just uh, high school, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, let's just skip to that. Let's, learn, let's skip to where you learned to juggle. So you were raised in, in Sweden. Uh, in a, I had that you were raised sort of in a farm area with cattle. But then in high school, you learned to juggle. What experience is that? Did you see it somewhere? And you were aware of what juggling was, of course. Yeah, sure. I had seen just a few performances on television when I was younger. Uh, I don't remember uh, her name right now, but uh, I'm sure she's pretty famous. And then after I learned to juggle, I that was it. Before I learned to juggle, I didn't see much. Though when I started high school, I saw some jugglers there because there was a youth circus um, in town. So like a, a place where people go to, to practice random circus skills, basically. And did juggling intrigue you when you saw it? Did you sort of pique your interest? No, I mean, I, I went there to try it out and uh, a tryout thing, you know, and uh, I was shown, I was taught to juggle, basically. I didn't pick it or anything. It was an easy skill to learn. I think the, the circus teachers thought, and um, yeah, I, I picked it up pretty quickly. I stuck with it for a, a while, and I got more and more obsessed with it. This was a circus class offered at your high school? Was it something that yeah. everybody took? No, I, it was optional, but I, I went on it, and uh, I stuck with it. I bought some juggling beanbags and uh, practiced at home like a week after I learned to juggle at the, that place. And when you were learning to juggle, did you feel as if... It was coming easily and that you sort of picked it up quickly or that it was uh, a bit of a struggle? I've, I guess moderately quickly. I uh, had like 100 catchers or so within a couple of weeks. So I, with three balls. like, I, And then I was started to do like tennis and some tricks. The, the person who taught me was Johanna Abrahamsson, by the way. She's a tightrope artist. And she was, she was your instructor at the circus school? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't she also the pupil of a famous juggler? Yeah, Reino. He was a unicycle. And you had done unicycling before, so you had unicycled around town as a youth. Yeah, but I, I picked up that afterwards too. Like that was when I was like 17, mm. I learned to unicycle. And then at school, were you sort of interested in uh, other subjects? I mean, did you sort of have a pursuit, a, 
of science or mathematics because you be you became quite the inventor. What were your interests in high school? Yeah, my focus in high school was um, art, actually, like basically drawing and uh, shaping things with my hands and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's like very hippie stuff. Now I don't know what to say. It's like I, I didn't st stick with that much afterwards, though. Are you talking like pottery, like shaping stuff with your hands? Yeah, and... exactly. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so you call that hippie stuff. And we certainly, uh, I guess there's a there's an element here in the United States of people who you have the idea of making pottery and that kind of thing. You know, making stuff with your hands is a bit hippy dippy. But uh, that's also in Sweden as well, that it's sort of a not, not a highly thought of pursuit. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I get that impression. It's not very it's not very practical and it doesn't really lead to anything unless you focus on it super hard and uh, commit and become independent artist I guess something like that was that important for you to do something that was practical I mean you say you thought it was sort of hippy dippy were you sort of encouraged to sort of follow a more practical pursuit yeah um, I think so but I, I the reason I really chose it was if I didn't pick uh, that or uh, I think it was basically that option I had, or I would have to study in a much smaller city like Strömsund. You you can't really choose freely with what school you want to go to, since it's like, uh, do you get high school for free in uh, United States? Yeah, we get, we get uh, through up till college, or, or uh, sometimes right. junior college is also free. Sometimes community college can be free, but any university or higher schooling is pretty expensive here in the states. I had to pick. Um, something that wasn't uh, in the curriculum at the school in the smaller smaller uh, city because I wanted to study in Östersund. It's a much bigger city than Strömsund. So. Oh, I see. So you chose something sort of get out of town where if I chose something that's here in my smaller town, I'll have to stay. Yeah. If I choose something like this pottery or this art, I can go to this bigger city to study it. That was basically the only reason. <laughs> I <don't think> that... <laughs> well, that's a good reason. You wanted, you wanted to sort of, you know, uh, go in a different direction and that got you... Uh, to a bigger city because it sounds like your upbringing was pretty rural we would call that rural you know sort of like a farmland uh, yeah. type of upbringing and so what were your experiences so you got to this this bigger school and that's where you, you discovered the juggling uh, how long did it take for the juggling to kind of become the main focus or your main interest it was basically three months in or something i was uh, really into it uh, i went to the tryout thing a couple of weeks in probably when uh -huh. After I went to Estersund to begin with, and how long was this class you took with the, with the teacher? The first uh, the first tryout session. Mm -hmm. But was it just one class, or did you sort of continue with that teacher, or was it just a one time thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, can, I joined the the juggling group soon after. Hmm. I think the classes or what you it's very free form. It's not so strict or anything. You basically, get together a bunch of kids and and you juggle like you do whatever. <laughs> basically it's and if you have a specific question on some tricks or something that someone is there to to show you it's a juggling group basically i think it sounds like a club where you can go to people for help yeah so it's, it sounds nice what was the scene like when you were sort of starting out were there a lot of great jugglers around you did you see a lot of people more skillful than you yeah there were two two jugglers in particular who were much more skillful and i looked up to them a lot uh bubu yeah bubu robin jadefelt and he was on ghetto forums. Um, he he's not so active anymore, I guess, on the internet scene, I guess. And then um, Herman Sandqvist, he um, peaked with like seven club stuff and a lot of five club tricks. That that was cool to see. And is that was kind of your focus initially? Is that the kind of stuff you wanted to 
emulate uh, the big tricks like that, like five clubs and yeah, sure. You know, high numbers. Yeah. You sort of build towards that. Uh, focus on getting seven balls and five clubs and stuff like that. But you also have a lot of original tricks. When do you sort of start discovering your own tricks? Uh, with, with three balls, I I did uh, find uh, some some tricks uh, pretty early on. Actually, with clubs too. But they, they weren't new tricks. They were just uh, independently found. So, but I I was thinking about stuff like that. I found stuff uh, pretty early on, like uh, six six months in. I had some. It's nothing special. It's what was it even like? I found helicopters with clubs, for example. And uh, but I mean that's so totally done, of course. But I didn't know that, so it, it was fun to practice it. <laughs> well, I, I just find it interesting that some jugglers in in their course of their art, their juggling, they sort of follow the the path that's already trod. Like they learn seven rings and seven ring, you know, uh, pirouettes and stuff like that. They really don't deviate to create their own material. And I think it's sort of the rare juggler that sort of comes up with as many tricks as you have. I mean, I think of. Jugglers like Jay Gilligan or Tony Pezzo or Wes Peden, as these people who really create a lot of a lot of their own material, their own tricks. And I just wonder what your mindset was if this was something from the very beginning that you started thinking, what else could I do besides what I've seen? Or did you just kind of like that sort of come upon you as you got better? A moment I remember is when I sort of deviated more from just going numbers and stuff. I was learning three club tricks and I wanted to learn... Uh, the body throws and stuff like that. And I remember that even though Herman and Bobo could do like advanced five club stuff like back crosses and pirouettes and stuff like that with with that stuff, uh, they really struggled. They couldn't really do body throws with, with three clubs. I thought, hmm, it doesn't really help you with uh, that kind of stuff to have numbers. So maybe it isn't so important to learn it if you want to focus on uh, diversifying your, your trick repertoire. Like, if you, if you want to learn a lot of different tricks with three clubs, you can just go for that, I figured. You don't really get automatically super good at it if you just practice like seven clubs. That's a good point because it's also sort of a physical body type. Like it seems to me like you can reach around your body quite easily, like to do behind the back with three clubs. Did you find yourself sort of like flexible in that way that it allowed you to kind of do the body throws easier because of your body type? Yeah, sure. I, I'm sure that that helps a lot. I have like a little bit longer wingspan than I am tall, so that probably helps, like like plus four centimeters or something. And then I was really skinny. I'm still pretty skinny, so it's it makes it much easier, like Eric's extension and uh, contortion stuff. Like the, the tricks called contortion, I'm I'm not actually like super flexible in any other way than with my arms around my back, basically. And how do you refer to the body throws? Do you call, call them Alberts and Treblas? Or uh, how do you refer to your body throws? Yeah, Alberts and Treblas most of the time, yeah. And so what was sort of the first ones did you start with? Did you start with the, the Alberts or did you start with the Treblas? Mm, treblas and doubles is so, so much easier than any other of those those tricks. I mean, of course, I learned back rows, as I think of that as body throws mm -hmm. too, but... Um, but after that, I, I could learn treblas and doubles because it, it's just uh, super easy compared to anything else. Huh. Is it because you just sort of crouch down and kind of your body position just allows you to kind of wing lean, lean backwards, actually. Yeah, you lean backwards and just kind of... It's also, I think, maybe also a body type because I don't think it would be easy for me at all. I think I have sort of a short upper body, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure a short upper body is a problem with treblas, though. 
I mean, if if your arms are long in comparison to your upper body, that would be a plus, I think. I don't know. I, I say I think we all kind of gravitate towards sort of what feels good and yeah, sure. Like those tricks for me, like the Alberts. I mean, I think I maybe got to seven or nine, but they always felt like a struggle. What What do you feel is the key? Is it sort of like the the position of the legs and the feet or the the weight? What do you focus on when you do your Albert throws? It's um, how how far uh, like the throws have to be super consistent, so you don't have to reach very much because it is pretty tight. Uh, you don't want to hit your chest with the clubs because that can happen if you throw them too tight towards you, and if you want reach too far, it just um, goes out of hand pretty quickly. So you have to focus on keeping the throws uh, tight and consistent and uh, keeping your posture strict, like not not moving around too much. And when you build up to a trick like that. Would you start with a single club or with one side? How do you build up to continuous? Yeah, like just the same build up you do for like back throws. You start with one club, then you do uh, two, two throws, the exchange, you know, and then you do um, three clubs and tennis and or like every fifth throw maybe first and, you know, from one side and uh, then you try to do a flash and stuff like that. You try to connect more and like I found a good rhythm with doing pairs of throws. I think like thinking about it as one two one two, like thinking about it like that in the beginning when it was really hard. So you think that the placement of the throw is one of the keys? Where like you're saying, you don't want to throw it too far forward or too close to your chest. So you sort of focus on that perfect sort of area where you don't have to reach for it. It just sort of falls into your hand, ready for the next throw. Yeah, and the, the, I guess the rhythm is um, important too, but. Yeah, it, it sort of happens, I think, if you do the throws right. And when did you start making videos? And did videos help your learning process? I was active on a Swedish juggling forum called Juggleworks. I think that's when I started posting some videos to them. I was already like doing body throws by then, basically, and uh, so, so almost stopped practicing balls. It was like 2007, so I wasn't doing so much other than clubs by then. So, so you started in 2004, by, by about 2007, you decided to specialize in the, in the clubs? Yeah. I, uh, what about uh, devil sticks or cigar boxes, anything like that interest you? I mean, I tried it. I, I tried it. I bought a devil stick, but I didn't get the cigar boxes. So I didn't really, it really, didn't really stick with me. I didn't, didn't, didn't feel it. So you'd say clubs are your, are your, your prop of choice? Yeah, for sure. And what was your practice schedule like? Were you someone who put in eight hour days or what was the most you think you practice in a single day yeah at, at least eight hours so when i was younger and had more time i, I practiced uh, the whole day basically Some, sometimes like it's stopping to eat and was this at a, a gymnasium or just at your house or where where was where would you go to juggle and practice up to 2007 2008 i would go to the circus hall to practice a lot and so I still had the ceiling height, but I started staying at home more and more and like using my apartment, uh, <laughs> just the, the, my, my living room, basically. And I probably by now practiced, done like 95% of all my juggling in here or something. So under eight feet ceilings. <laughs> I think there's something very convenient about uh, practicing in your house under a low ceiling. Like that's where most of my practice is done as well. I mean, obviously it depends what type of juggler you are. But you can get a lot done under an eight-foot ceiling. Yeah, for sure. And also, the convenience is massively awesome. The Harvard documentary with uh, Lewis Kennedy, he made it, right? He says that uh, it's important to have props nearby so you can just, whenever you get an idea, whenever you feel like it, whenever you get some inspiration, you just pick up the props and be able to run a pattern right away. That's what it's like to juggle in your home, right? So ha having props around, that's, that's important. Well, I just think that's what it's like to be a juggler. I mean, if you, I think if you're a juggler, 
who doesn't have props nearby, wherever you are, well... <laughs> yeah, sure. I guess that's that's life, right? <laughs> and then when you practice, would you sort of have a warm-up that you would do every time, or you just kind of go to whatever inspires you? How is it structured? Yeah, it wasn't structured. I, I just uh, I just juggled. I still, <laughs> I still just juggle, basically. Unless I'm working on a trick, then I do the the build-up for, for that in particular, but I usually don't uh, do any warm-up. I don't really... Like if you wanted to work on a trick, let's say with uh, four club singles, you would just kind of grab the four clubs and just start with that. You would just kind of launch into it. Yeah, sure. If I if I'm just um, back when I was learning it, I would uh, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so after you've been juggling for a few years and you've gotten quite good, what kind of uh, festivals did you go to? Did you go to some see some other jugglers, and what were some experiences with some of the other jugglers that you met early on in the after like three or four years? Like, did you meet Jake Gilligan, and he was a an American who we know had gone to Sweden. Did he play a part in your juggling at all? Yeah, sure. I saw him at, I think, the Nordic Juggling Convention in, uh, when, when was that? Like 2007 or uh, six, maybe? I'm, I'm not really sure. It was uh, quite early on, but I'm, I'm not sure on the year. Was that the first festival you went to, the Nordic Juggling Festival? No, I, I went to the Swedish Juggling Convention, SGC. Oh. That was the first uh, convention I went to, and I... It, it was uh, also very, very important. I remember going on the open stage thing and like doing uh, a trick, and it, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was a good experience. I, I, I just, just did helicopters, and people liked it. It was, it was cool. And I also tried. I think I tried full contortion then with clubs too. And uh, now, by full contortion, you mean so that I, I bring both, both both arms behind my back. Right. So you're juggling with your arms wrapped around your body, so that your right hand is on your left hip and your left hand is on your right hip exactly that's so it's basically arm, arms crossed but arms crossed behind your back yeah so a full cascade in that position so once again i think having the long arms and the, the skinny body you know has to help with a trick like that yeah absolutely do you remember who the headliner was or who the big act uh, at that festival was i don't actually i could probably if i had thought about this beforehand but i'm, I'm not really <laughs> sure now it's all right i just think about that first experience where you see like my first uh, juggling convention was sort of 1980, uh, IJ in Fargo, North Dakota. I mean, certain things sort of stand out, like like seeing a guy pick a club up with his foot or do a curl with a ball. So those first festivals are pretty important, I think, as far as uh, inspiring us. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think Wes must have been there almost like he probably was there. Well, he's very inspiring. I mean, as far as a juggler who combines high technique with uh, a lot of creativity... He's probably, you know, number one, yeah. uh, I think. So, And did you ever consider uh, going to that school that Jay Gilligan taught at? I'm not sure what the situation was uh, or where he taught, but was that something you could have gone to? Uh, sure. I mean, I applied to it one year or two. I, I went there um, on the, the same year Emil Dahl and uh, uh, Tony Pesso got in. Mm. <laughs> well, that's pretty stiff competition, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> And talk about body types, like like Emil Dahl, he was the, had the record, I think. I think someone has beaten it, uh, but for flashing nine clubs. No, yeah, yeah, that's right, for sure. And I remember meeting him and thinking, my God, his hands are huge. So I think, you know, once again, physically, if you're going to be the guy who flashes nine clubs, it probably helps to have very large hands. Yeah, I imagine having large hands is great for juggling in general. But yeah, that's probably true. Well, if it's great in general, I think it depends. You know, I think there's 
Well, I think obviously I think something like a cigar box, if your hands are too small, that that grip uh, becomes problematic. If you have, you know, if you can't make that kind of position, that claw position with your hand, unless your boxes are oh. very thin. Yeah, sure. But, uh, it's um, uh, feels easier to imagine many tricks that would be um, better off that you'd be better off having large hands than the tricks that it'd be a, like a good thing to have small hands. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, it's just imagine most club tricks that are seven clubs. I mean, holding four clubs with one hand and releasing them cleanly is uh, a difficult feat. I mean, sure. nothing I could do. I don't think so. So let's let's continue on with your juggling. So the the we're talking about this other festival you went to, uh, the second one or the one that was the Nordic festival. Uh, what mm. was where you met uh, these other jugglers? What was that one like? Well, Jay Gilligan did a really long performance, and uh, it was uh, quite jaw dropping to see so much six six ball tricks. I think in a row that it was um, his six ball performance is probably online somewhere now. He's posted a lot of them, his videos. That is, and then I saw. I wonder if that was that year when. He, Erik Åberg uh, did his uh, shin, shin trap research uh, performance. You have seen Erik Åberg's shin trap. He, he must oh, have yeah. done that on uh, IGA too, right? Yeah, he, he came out also with, uh, um, what was it, Team RDL. They came out to the festival. That was 2008. And he also he did that in the, in the show when he came out in the 2017 to uh, Cedar Rapids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about the trick, the routine where he basically traps the club knob under his chin, and allows yeah. the club to kind of swing by swinging his head back and forth, and then like releasing the club, and he basically did a whole routine based on the experimentation on that one trick, and what does he call it? Club club swinging, club trapping, club shin trap, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very I'd say it's very interesting to have a, a sort of a routine based around a single idea that you're exploring. Yeah, I love that stuff, and uh, it was mind blowing to see that uh, performance back th that early on because it was so so different than anything else I'd seen by then. So it was uh, very inspiring. But I wonder if that was probably actually later. It was maybe two thousand nine or something. Well, I know he. I think he did it in the, in the TMRDL show, which was pretty early on. Now, when you were at this time, were you thinking about performing at all, or did you always feel of you you would just be simply uh, more of a hobby? Were you thinking about pursuing it professionally? No, oh, yeah, I was thinking about that, and I I did performances through the youth circus uh, all the way from uh, 2005. Actually, my first uh, stage performance in the little circus tent. Uh, I guess there's like a couple hundred visitors or something when you do the performance there. Yeah, uh, but I did like um, three club uh, shops and uh, some, some three ball steals and stuff with other of the members of the youth circus group. Well, I'm not very familiar with your career as a juggler. Did you then go on after schooling to do some juggling gigs or what was your path as a juggler? I mean, professionally. Well, um, I stayed a little bit with, uh, with the youth circus thing. Like that's not really bound to the, to the, to the um, high school and things. So I, I was um, a sort of a teacher or a mentor at the, the juggling group there for, for a year or so. And uh, then, then I let um, some, some younger person take over because I thought maybe... <laughs> if I was like 20 or something, I should be at the youth circus. I'm not sure. Well, you could be a teacher at the youth circus, but maybe uh, just one of the students. Maybe that might be a bit old. No, we actually had like an 80-year-old as a student there once. So it's, like, it's not really <laughs> age-bound either. So Right, right. But that's how you felt, though, because uh, at 20. Yeah, I thought it would be a, be a good thing for the other person to take over because 
probably yeah help him or something like be good for him to have that experience and did you pursue any kind of degree at school mm, like in in high school or you mean at college afterwards or I don't know. Did you, I don't know. Did you go on to college afterwards, or what was your your schooling like? Uh, I um, applied to some colleges, and I went to um, a sports science uh, college, but I just dropped out. Uh, I, I didn't commit so hard. I was feeling totally out of it when I when I actually got there. Like it, it's it's uh, so different when this stuff is basically free in Sweden, so you can just sort of do this thing without really committing, I guess. Hmm. So it wasn't a passion, like you didn't go up, you didn't pursue something uh, because you really had to do it. But in Sweden, it was just sort of an opportunity and you tried it and you were like, eh, mm. not for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I was feeling totally out of it. I was um, not in, in such a good place in life, I guess. I wasn't feeling so great when I got there. I was burned out on study, maybe you could say. <laughs> Did you feel you lacked motivation of what to do with your life or? Yeah, sure. Like, I wasn't really getting anywhere big with juggling. I wasn't feeling so well um, performing. And uh, I mean, I had done some small shows and like not, not really asking for much pay and stuff like that. Well, I think it's hard to pursue a, a life in juggling, you know, a career in juggling. It's, it's not really something that there's no schooling that teaches you how to do it. It's just there's no like direct path into it. It's just sort of something that I think people do they pick up on their local level and if they are interested, they kind of pursue it sort of past that into other areas and they travel to do it. Uh, did you ever have any gigs where you traveled and did shows outside your local area? Uh, just, just a couple of kilometers away, basically like a couple, like 40 kilometers away or something, maybe but nothing further than that. Do you teach festival workshops? Have you gone to uh, many festivals and taught at uh, different workshops in the area or, or you know, in Europe? Uh, just in Sweden, and not not very many actually. I, I don't really like. There's not that many conventions in Sweden, and uh, not, only went to some Finnish conventions outside of uh, Sweden actually. I, uh, besides the IJA later then. So the the IJA in 2017 was that your first time uh, coming to America? Yeah. So what did you think? What was your experience going to the IJA? What was your feeling walking into the gym or into the obviously the hotel convention room? Were you were you kind of blown away by it? What was your impression yeah. of it? Yeah, it was great. It was um, super spacey and uh, and nice. We're air conditioning there. We don't have that in Europe, basically. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, super nice uh, to meet all the people you see uh, on Facebook and everything, like on Instagram, and uh, that that was amazing. It was great. <laughs> super good experience. <laughs> and I had brought you out there. I was festival director, and one of the things I was very excited about was that you did a workshop with your magnetic clubs and you brought a lot of magnets and people made these clubs. Let's talk about that, how you invented it and uh, kind of the, the experience of that went into developing such a unique prop. Tell me about these magnetic clubs. Right. I guess it started when I was very young, six years old or something. I was playing with magnets. We had a whole drawer full with magnets because my, my dad and uh, grandma worked in electronics and stuff and I had brought some magnets home I guess like waste magnets ferrite magnets I don't know what they were used for actually but well I played with that and when I first learned to juggle much much later I thought the the little black sticker in the center of the nose on uh, Henry's clubs uh, reminded me for some reason <laughs> that uh, the ferrite magnets because they're quite dark in color so yeah I can see that and I was thought why, why wouldn't you have a magnet there wouldn't that be cool and uh, some some years later my brother bought some neodymium magnets and uh, I asked him if I could 
have some to put in the clubs and he was okay with that so I, I tried it and like in the winter 2008 I had some some finished with uh, magnets in the nose noses there and tried some tricks with that and had had some ideas already with putting them on my arms and stuff with uh, metal plates and stuff like that so at this point they were just simply magnets inserted into the nose of the clubs or is it is it that yeah is it something more complex than that or just simply simply the, a strong magnet inserted into the the nose of the club yeah it's it's exactly that and it's not very complex at all it's exactly so yes it's funny because I, I watched that plastic uh, mind video Oh, yeah. And there's some club that seems to be very complex inside that has a lot of electronics. What club is that? Well, the, the only one that actually does anything is the one that spins on the floor. And um, it's not very complex, really. Like, it's just um, an electric stirring machine that I put inside the club that <laughs> makes it spin. <laughs> That's funny. It, it's made to be put in a, in a pot, I guess, on the on your oven. Mm-hmm. And it will spin by itself. Like you can put it there and leave it and it will spin around. Oh, is that the one that's on the club that's your balance sort of on your, on your head that just spins on top of the club? Is that the same thing? No, that's a different one. That's, that's, that's just a plastic bearing and a magnet. And... Mm, okay. So it's a lot less complex than I thought. What were the first uh, experimentations like? Did you feel like it has sort of advanced since then? Or is it simply still that same concept? Mm, with, with magnet clubs, like. I mean, have you done different things? I mean, there's a are there are there magnets to both the, the 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 handle and the head of it, or just the the head? Yeah, that, that's right. putting them in the handle as well was quite early on. Maybe like a, just a week, few weeks after I put them in the nose, I thought we had to have magnets in the handle as well. And then, uh, well, uh, there were some various uh, ideas like 3D printing bodies that uh, are shaped in different ways and joining them with magnets. And uh, there's super many different things you can do with uh, with just um, that idea and uh, in different configurations. Yeah, so like, I'm not really sure where to, where to go with it because uh, you, you can just come up with whatever and make it work uh, when you when you read the printer shape. Well, some people have taken it to a performance level. Like I know Emil Dahl has a routine uh, using these magnet clubs and uh, Jake Gilligan. Yeah. Also performs with the magnet clubs. Yeah, well, I was totally fine with uh, making the clubs for Emil and and he performing a, a show with it. Mm-hmm. Also experimented with putting them on a stick and everything, like spinning them around a the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like uh, he had uh, some some good tricks of his own with them that he found on a workshop in the, at Dock where I showed off the magnet clubs. And he felt like he wanted to go with it. And I think he would do a better job than I would performing with it. So I, I feel like it's good that some props maybe aren't for me. Other people do a better job if they if they love them. Like, well, I mean, you're the creator of them. I mean, as far as the idea of someone taking your creation and making an act with it, I think is quite flattering. Yeah, sure. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that because I don't think I would make a very good act with him. So... It's, it's great that someone else find a, finds a way to do um, something good. Well, I think with juggling, too, that even if you're working on a unique routine, at a certain point, uh, if it's a good routine, there's going to be call for more than one of them. I mean, it's, it's nice if the inventor gets the initial respect, the initial exposure for it. But I don't think any routine has to be a single person doing it. I mean, like contact juggling or something like that with Michael Motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, the call for it is such that I mean, more than one person can have a successful act doing the, the magnet clubs. Yeah, sure. 
Like, would you be happy for more people to pick it up and, and do routines with it? Do you want to see that happen? Or are you just happy with uh, Jugglers of Emil and Jay's caliber doing it? No, I, I'm totally fine. I, I, I mean, I made a video on my YouTube showing, I, I tried to show as well as I can how to make them yourself so that people can 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 do whatever they want with it if they if they feel like. Well, I think that's the best way, but I think where do you stand on some of the tricks or props that people invent that are pretty unique performance props? Like I think it always comes back to like uh, the bounce piano, you know, that Dan Menendez mm-hmm. invented where there was a gimmick that allowed it to be such a great performance tool. Do you think that all juggling sort of becomes open source once it's performed or should the inventor creator sort of retain rights to it? Mm, it's a difficult question. Mm. I, I think it's very difficult because it's also very sort of uh, each situation is different. Like someone mm. might be currently still performing it or still making money doing it. I think probably Dan's is the most egregious where he was actively doing it and getting on TV shows when other people started to copy him. And then when they couldn't get Dan, they would just get one of his imitators. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it, it's probably best to at least talk to the original performer and ask him about it, how he feels about it. If you, if you want to do an act with it, you could maybe do that first. I think that's a good good, good thing to do. Yeah, I think getting permission certainly is the, the right way to go. There was something I saw that came up, and I think it was the David Kane interview that intrigued me. It said you were famous for gun juggling. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't think, I don't think so. <laughs> I just made like a video with it. Is that like juggling like uh, firearms? Yeah, but uh, just um, replicas, so they're not real mm-hmm. firearms. But was it like guns spinning like you'd see in Western movies or juggling three guns? I don't think I saw, I've seen that. Yeah, juggling, juggling some, some basic gun spinning and juggling three guns. And I, I wanted to try uh, something he, actually David Kane mentioned in one of his articles about uh, some juggler consecutively firing mm. every time he caught in a three-gun three cascade or something like that. Oh, and I, I wanted to, to try that, so I, I went and learned it. So it was possible. It was possible to catch it and, and pull the trigger with each throw? Yeah. Oh. And I believe uh, I had uh, double action replicas, so I had to pull, like, cock the hammer and pull the trigger. But uh, it was a while, and I didn't really continue it much after I <laughs> did that. So I, I don't really remember. Like, maybe it was just a flash or something. I'm not really sure now. And did it set off like uh, blanks? Were there, were there uh, noises that go with it, or you just pulled the trigger? No, I, I just uh, just went through the, the motion there. Yeah, no blanks. <laughs> so I think even blanks are dangerous in that yeah. it does shoot out some kind of wadding or shelling. Yeah. That uh, you want to be careful with that kind of stuff. For sure. There was a, an actor who, when I was a young man in my teenager years, I was quite famous, and he was goofing around on the set of a TV show. And pretended to shoot himself in the head because he thought it was just a blank and yeah. ended up uh, killing himself. It was uh, oh, very wow. memorable in my teenage years. So, all right, so gun juggling was not really a thing. But uh, let's talk about some of these uh, interesting records you have. Mm-hmm. Like, you have the record for Three Clubs Mills Mess, which I, I can barely do, but you have the record at one hour and eight minutes. Yeah. How, how does that come about? Did you just find that that was a, a pretty easy trick for you to do? That's a, that's a pretty hard trick with clubs. And this is this one's pretty recent. There is uh, like it's from the juggling records uh, webpage. You can see uh, people posting new records there. And I had a really old run of Mills Mess that was like 15 minutes from 2007 or something. And uh, so I, I'm not sure if he's maybe Russian. Like someone had beat it, and uh, he did like one hour and four minutes with Mills Mess. So I immediately went and 
thought, well, I can probably take it back. Like I, it was so long ago when I did the other run. And then I wanted to one up him too. So I did it in uh, half spin. I, I don't really practice this trick, but it, it's not very difficult. So I, I just went, I, I set the goal to do more than uh, more than him basically and then stop. And I did that. So it's, I'm, I'm happy with it. And do you listen to music? How do you occupy yourself for an hour and eight minutes? Yeah, I, I prepare um, a song or a playlist or, on YouTube, but I, I picked um, an album. I think it was uh, Wheel of Time by Blind Guardian. And then I checked how long into that uh, album I would be done. And then I juggled until I got to that point and then I stopped. So that's... <laughs> so at half spins too, that's uh, that's even more difficult for me. I, I mean, did you find that easier or you just did that as more of a challenge? I did that more as a, more as a challenge too, because I thought it, it would be more interesting. It, and also if I would fail, if right. I would drop... Um, before I could break the overall record, I would still have probably some kind of record with half spins too. So that, that's that's nice. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> no, someone needs a record at one and a half spins that they can do the... <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and flats. So. Which would be pretty... That'd be tricky. That'd be tricky. Now, you set another record for cl four club singles. And so you decided to design a very super light club. And I saw in the, in the notes that these clubs have never been dropped. Is that true? Uh, not anymore, but it was true then. <laughs> <laughs> it was true then. So you basically created them and then you did the record. And how long was the record? I have it 58 minutes. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. So four yeah. clubs, singles. In singles. Yeah. But I, again, I wanted to do like an hour and then stop. But I uh, misremembered. Like, the, like I didn't really check properly how long I would have <laughs> to run. So I... I thought I was like way over one hour, actually, like one hour and five minutes or something. But uh, I was uh, a song short, I think, to actually break an hour. So it was a bit premature stopping there. Oh, that's funny. But these clubs at that time that you set the record had never been dropped. You just sort of, that was sort of an interesting fact, I thought. Yeah, I, I had um, designed some lightweight clubs before, and then I went even harder to make them uh, even more lightweight for this one. And uh, how do you make them more lightweight? Is it a thinner plastic, or how do you how do you decrease the weight of a club? Uh, I, I used uh, PX3 uh, handles and removed some parts of them that were not needed so to make them lighter. And then I used 3D printed body that was much lighter than normal bodies. And then I had also saved some weight from. I, I was using the PX3 knobs and uh, that stuff on the on the previous version of the lightweight clubs, but they are actually like five grams heavier than Henry's mm. uh, knobs because I wanted to have it like a normal club with knobs and stuff. Sure, so sure. I, I used those parts, like it's a Frankenstein composite club, and the <laughs> dowel is just a um, carbon fiber rod, so it's also much lighter than a wooden dowel. Did the, did the club have to have a dowel in it? Could you have done without the dowel? I mean, you could 3D print a super lightweight one-piece club. That would probably be like, I, I don't know, like under 100 grams or something. Yeah. That would probably be okay, but I, I'm not sure. I wanted to make it like a proper club. And uh, since the parts are separate, you want to bring them together somehow. And uh, the dowel with wooden inserts to, to screw into to hold it together mm. does that, so... Yeah, it would probably end up like a like a very light juggle bug club if it had no dowel, and that probably wouldn't juggle very well. No, it might be too light as well. I'm not really sure. But uh, an advantage of having a too light club is that you could fill it with magnets and stuff to make it normally weighted and have some interesting functions. Yeah, interesting. Now, when you sort of fill it with magnets, I guess you have to cut it open in some way and then insert them. And but you you just talk yeah. about all that on your your YouTube. What is your YouTube channel? 
Is it just your name or? Yeah, you could you could search for my name and you should find my my YouTube channel. I think. Let's talk about this jugglingrecords.com. Is that what it is? It's juggling records. I think with a dash, right? Like juggling dash records.com. Yeah. Because I wasn't even aware of that until I did the research for for this interview. That's a place people can go and they can set their own records and beat existing records. Yeah. Juggling. And I saw one record you have is ten ring quadruplexes. But you told me that was just more of a joke, right? Because they sort of just stick together. Yeah, more or less. Like all those um, <laughs> multiplex ring records are kind of silly, I think. But I mean, maybe it's a real run of that that trick, but it's uh, a silly trick. So I don't know if it's <laughs> so so interesting, really. Those kind of things. You can basically type in whatever, like not not really type in free text, but you can choose a lot of uh, things of what kind of record you want to set, and then juggle that trick and. Uh, well, hmm. it's up to you how, how hardcore or how silly the tricks are going to be. But I guess if someone was juggling professionally and they wanted to say that they were a multi-time record holder, they could certainly go on that site and create some records, and that would be true. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about another one of your inventions, which I wasn't very familiar with. Once again, I saw in your David Kane interview, what are the mirrored rings and what are their functions? Oh, I think... That's also like kind of overrated. It's just uh, <laughs> it's just a ring that's made of uh, a reflective material, so it acts as a mirror. But is it made of reflective material, or just have like a reflective tape on it, or or how does that work? It's an acrylic uh, mirror. Oh. The the first ones were just one sided, so I taped I glued two two halves together to make it double sided, and then. Later, I had some um, first surface mirrors cut into rings, so they are not have to be glued together. They are already reflective on both sides, but they're not so nice to juggle. They're kind of heavy, and uh, the edges are kind of kind of sharp because. I bet. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine they're breakable as well. I mean, it just seems like a very impractical. That's why when yeah, I thought mirrored rings, it sounded pretty uh, impractical. But it sounded cool. Like, do you ever do them under spotlights? Is that the idea of them, or is one side not mirrored like a color change? I mean, the the idea is to have a nice uh, visual prop that you can use for like photo photo shoots and um, mm. performances. Maybe if you have a, like a, a show where you you don't really drop, you have right something like that. <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of a more of a yeah, like you say, like for photo shoots, but a mirrored ring. Like I could see like a ring with just some sort of reflective tape, but that really wouldn't be very effective. It just would sort of be a blurry image. Yeah, I think so. But but an actual mirror, boy, that would be like you say, painful breakable but nice for uh, an image it's not made of glass though like it's uh, some kind of acrylic so it's not uh, super dangerous or anything if it breaks it's probably not so nice but and of course if you were juggling like five of them uh, you could have 35 years of bad luck if you drop them oh no that's true each, each mirror gives you seven years of bad luck so. Mm. hey so let's talk about your experimental design juggling business is this so this is an active business where you'll create custom props for jugglers yeah, if um, I, I just uh, take requests and do whatever I feel like. <laughs> well, I could use that. I, I'm often coming up with ideas. It's nice to know that there's someone out there that will help me bring my ideas to life or other jugglers if they have a, a creative idea. And what was that website for experimental design juggling? So I thought that was interesting that you would, uh, a place you can go because I've never heard of magic makers who make custom magic equipment. But there's really not that many people who make uh, custom juggling props. There used to be a magic uh, guy named uh, Frank Radke. Uh, his stage name was Fakini. He was the first maker of the silicon balls. And he would make some very nice custom juggling props. 
But since then, I don't know anybody who does that. So I think there are a few, actually. I don't have any names, but I'm sure there are a few people who can. I don't know. I know that uh, Tui Wilson makes custom mouthpieces or mouth sticks. Hmm. It's very hard. I haven't really found that many people. So uh, if they want to have your services. Yeah, it's um, xdjuggling.com. X, so the letter is xdjuggling.com. And so one of the things you've been kind of interested with and experimenting with uh, was the Salerno ring. What about the Salerno ring intrigued you? Oh, where did it start? <laughs> I bet yeah. Where was the first time you saw it? Well, man, I feel like I must have seen it like early on, but not really paid much attention to it because it's a classic prop, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's classic, but it's not really on everybody's radar because it was something that was performed mm. years and years ago. There were very few current modern jugglers using it uh, that I knew about when I was coming up. Yeah, it's, it's gotten way more popular lately, but for sure, not really certain when I saw it. Maybe maybe a David Kane thing. I, mm. I think I knew about it before I saw some articles there. Well, we had, he had someone at the, uh, I, forget, I forget the juggler's name, which is embarrassing, but at the historical show he did it in 2017, mm. he had a juggler there who did the Salerno ring and would, I think, shower four balls and then uh, shower through the ring. Yeah, that's the that's the classic trick, right? The original. Yeah, but then there's been quite a few variations, and the one that comes to mind is uh, King Rep, which is yeah. sort of a, a version of the. I guess is Salerno. Does he predate King Rep? I think he does. Yeah, sure. And so King Rep had like a uh, five or six of these rings. Two, he told them in his hands, and had one on the top hat, one on his foot, where the ball circles inside the hoop. And what were some of your experiments with the Salerno ring? Yeah, I've. Um... I made a lot of different uh, shaped Salerno rings and uh, well you can see them in a short edit actually on, on my YouTube there, there's uh, quite a few but they're, they're barely shown actually because it was made as a teaser teaser trailer thing and I haven't gotten around to actually finish the, the full video with that so it's just a glimpse and then you can see some on my Instagram too but there are uh, like spiraling Salerno rings in different alignments horizontal Salerno rings oval Salerno rings and uh, loop-de-loop Salerno rings mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, and uh, some modular thing that I um, was inspired by by King, King Rep, actually, because I think traditionally the Salerno ring should be balanced, but uh, you don't have to do that. So then uh, I, I attach them around my waist, and uh, it's like a hula hoop, basically, but in a different uh, direction. Yeah, I think the classic one, the Salerno ring, is sort of on a stick balanced like on your forehead. That's right. You know, so it's up above you. So you sort of attach them to your body and created different shapes. Yeah. And we can see that on that video on YouTube. Yeah, uh, some of that. But it's it has been a continuous process. So I found more variations and I haven't shown every variation either online. So it's just a teaser. Is the actual video still upcoming or on hold? Or <laughs> I mean, I, I want to make it, but uh, I feel like I'm, um, <laughs> I, I don't have time to focus on it uh, entirely. I want to dedicate... I want to have a good space to film it, and uh, I feel like I'm basically stuck at work so much, so I don't really get around to. And what is your work? What do you do for your, for a job? I mean, uh, in the real world. I work in a bike store, so I sell bikes and I um, oh. assemble bikes and repair some bikes and stuff like that. I think it feels like I mostly sell bikes now. But that sounds nice, though. Uh, was that is biking and bike riding something that's been uh, a part of your life or just a job? Mostly a job. I mean, unicycling is more of a interest that I have than actually bikes, but yeah. And so what's your juggling like currently? Are you are you still doing it on a daily basis or how many uh, how much time do you spend per week juggling? At least 10 hours a week. Oh. I'm mostly practicing uh, technique, I feel like. Like trying to keep up my level and improve 
to learn new tricks and stuff like that. Um, it's sort of actually these records and everything is almost like a guilty pleasure. It's <laughs> feel like a waste of time a lot of the time because it's I don't think it's uh, that meaningful to improve in uh, the stuff that that is actually good juggling. Like it's so, sort of silly most of the time. I try to to learn new tricks. So. What do you think would be more worthwhile? I mean, I think I think most of juggling. You know, I don't want to say it's sort of uh, a fruitless pursuit, but besides performing with juggling, does it serve another purpose, really? It's more, much more important, I think, to actually work on a new trick than just to do a record of a trick that you can already do. Like, you don't really care if you get better at the trick either, because, mm. I mean, if you can do a trick for like one hour, I, I feel like it's basically a waste of time. <laughs> it's, I see. It's just, I see. just to have a record, basically. It's not... Uh, I don't <laughs> think... Well, I find so, some people, like when they practice, it's, it's sort of a... I wouldn't say they practice because I think we gravitate towards the tricks we already can do because they feel good. So it's hard to sort of push technique in like juggling for two hours at a constant sort of pushing your ability level. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think most juggling to me, like I might juggle for three hours, but I wouldn't say I'm practicing for three hours. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Doing records and stuff you can already do. It's like being in your comfort zone and it's like if you feel like you should be improving like learning new tricks it's a guilty pleasure basically <laughs> i get the pleasure of it but like i i kind of think boy i would like to go through that west peden video and pick out four or five new tricks to learn because there's obviously a bunch in there to to do even with three balls or something but sometimes learning new tricks especially tricks that are created by others uh. is that there's an element of figuring it out and that kind of brain uh, power that also goes into it where something like five clubs is a lot more straightforward. Yeah, that's that's true. So I don't know about the point I'm trying to make. It just seems that like when we practice, it's just sort of hard to say, okay, I'm gonna I have two hours to practice or ten hours per week. What is the most worthwhile, productive way to use those ten hours? Hmm. I mean, does that come into your thinking, or is it just more like, how will I enjoy these ten hours? It's a mix of both. Like you want to get started too. It can be hard to to start juggling if you don't um, run through some some comforting tricks like Mills Mess and stuff like that, you know. But I, I'm not really planning out my practice. Like I I feel like oh this time I should practice on new tricks with uh, Salerno rings instead of um, technique with clubs. Basically, it's a, I, I'm not really I don't have a very structured life outside of going to work and. <laughs> I mean, do you have a future like uh, vision of where your juggling is going to? Do you have plans and visions for it? Or is it just more more freeform than that? I have some plans and uh, like of specific tricks and stuff like that, but I don't I don't know what uh, what juggling will will bring me. I, I'm not sure. I'm not expecting it to to get me somewhere really. Like, <laughs> like when I practice, for me, it helps to have a a vision of oh, I'm practicing this because this will become an act that I can then try to get work with. I, I've mm. never really sort of been that focused on practicing simply to set records or to keep up pace like with other jugglers. I just don't think I'm good enough in that way to do that. So I'm just wondering as far as, like I say, if you're doing it 10 hours per week, would you call that a meditative time or are you, are you trying to actively get better? I'm trying to get better. Trying to get better. Now let's talk about one of your most famous videos, which was your video with the ring damas. Yes, of course. Was, <laughs> which, was the, which was the silly prop I invented. Uh, was that fun for you to kind of take a, a silly prop like that and try to see what you could come up with? Yeah, I love that actually. New props that, um, like, also the um, the fidget stick thing, that uh, uh, the fidget spinner. No, no, the, the fidget stick, uh, whatever it's called, like kururin. 
Like, oh, the one you kind of roll on the table? Yeah, that too was a similar <laughs> thing, I think. Like, uh, fun to try a totally different thing and uh, just see what you can pick up on that and where the inspiration takes you when you just try something new like that. It's fun. Well, I think at one point the toy companies were trying to kind of cash in on the fidget spinner idea. Yes. And they thought that if they had some you know, pocket-sized skill toys, like the one you're talking about, I forget the exact name. There's a Japanese name like Kuronin or something, which is a, that wooden little pin that you roll on the table. And my ring dama kind of fit in that category of uh, pocket-sized skill toys uh, yeah. that they produced for one year. <laughs> then it uh, totally disappeared from sight. Also. But I have a new, new invention, and, uh, which I'm going to hopefully produce next year from a, a different toy company. That's cool. So I'm excited about that. And what about your uh, ideas and inventions for the future? Do you have any inventions in the in the in the planning stage, or how do you go about trying to think up new props? It helps to to be bored at work or commuting <laughs> and stuff like okay. that, because then you get a lot of time to think and imagine things and try to see see what they would be like, and then hopefully have enough energy to actually try to make a prototype and everything when you get home. I know if we talk about energy, I know that you had a real setback to your juggling. Uh, a while back because uh, when I was talking to you about coming out to the IGA festival, you had some real health problems that set you back uh, and you actually had to kind of learn juggling over. W what happened? Because I, I know that you had some problems with your kidneys, uh, but this is behind you, right? What what, what exactly happened, if you don't mind uh, me being sort of prying? No, it's no problem. Uh, well, uh, I found out 2015 that I, um, I had, uh, what, what's it called in English? It's called IGA nefrit in Swedish. Like mm. it's um, immunosuppressive. It's like what would you call it? Like an immuno disease. Your immune system attacks your own body. Okay. That sort of thing. I think they would call that an autoimmune disease. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like autoimmune disease. Sure. And uh, my kidneys in particular were targeted then. And I mean, I probably had this like forever, I guess. But it didn't really degenerate my kidneys until. Uh, so that you can get that you have it until like 2014, maybe something like that. So I was diagnosed with that and uh, had to go on uh, some medication and stuff and it uh, got steadily worse. So um, around uh, Christmas, like coming up on Christmas 2016, I was really bad and I actually fainted in my home and uh, hit my head. So I was laying uh, on the floor, like knocked out mm. for a couple of days, probably. Oh, gosh. Right. It's not really entirely sure how long I because I, I live alone, so it's not so yeah. great. Um, I woke up from the phone ringing and I was feeling super dizzy. Like I wake up, got, up, got up and like yeah. got to the phone and everything. Um, then um, I, I was um, brought to the to the hospital. I was like out for a couple more days and they um, contemplated doing surgery on me because I had uh, cranial hemorrhaging because I had hit my head, so I was bleeding mm -hmm. in my skull. Basically. Oh gosh, yeah. Serious. Yeah, so, but, but uh, the bleeding receded on its own and uh, I got better without having to do a surgery, but it's still quite, uh, quite bad and I had a bad concussion, of course. And, but I got to spend Christmas uh, with my family. So I was home um, like a week after or something. And, uh, so I got, I got better pretty, pretty soon. But uh, I couldn't juggle five balls at all. Like I, I had lost my ability to juggle five. Like I couldn't do anything harder than four ball fountain basically because of course i tried juggling but at this time you were still having problems with your kidneys because that's what caused the caused you to faint and hit your head have that yeah. has that since been corrected the your issues with your kidneys 
I had a transplant, so oh, that, good. Okay. That, that corrects it basically. And how are you feeling now? How is your is your is your strength back? Are you back juggling? Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, like I'm better than ever. Like it's oh, so, such a big difference. Like it's huge. I, I'm good now. Oh, good, good, good. I only have to take uh, like the reaction medicine to keep my new kidney in check, basically. But that's that's okay. That's much uh, less taxing on the body than uh, dialysis, which I went to for for a couple of years. And dialysis is the sort of a process where you have to sort of clean out your blood. You have to be hooked up to a machine, and it's a like a hours of spent sort of the machine does the, the purpose does, uh, serves the purpose of your of your kidneys. Yes. In that, which sounds very uh, invasive. I know that's kind of a big business here now in the states. They have all these uh, dialysis places popping up. Davida, they're coming yeah, you, around the United States. Well, let's I talk guess. about a more fun subject. Uh, I really enjoyed your IGA video. Uh, you know, they have the video of the month. Yeah. And I really suggest people check out your IGA video of the month. Uh, mostly clubs. But boy, are there some crazy tricks in there. Crazy tricks. So mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about a couple of my favorites. And uh, one is you're juggling four clubs. And then you catch a club balance on each club. So you end up with a club uh, balanced on its butt on the other club in your hand. So you're holding a club in each hand. And you have a club balanced on each club. I'd never seen that before. Was that an original trick? Yeah, I'd never seen it when I started practicing it, but it took me a super long time to get it. And then in the process of learning it over the years, like I didn't practice it super hard, but uh, I tried it every now and then. Mm -hmm. I saw some other people trying it as well, but I did not remember seeing anyone actually doing it. But sure, sure, people can do it. But for me, it's uh, deceptively difficult. Like you think it wouldn't be so hard because um, double hand balance is um, not hard at all. But... Uh, Balancing on the club, uh, it's um, way, way harder, actually. Like, you'd be surprised. Like, you could have a club with a knob in each hand, so you're holding a club upright in each hand and balancing both clubs in your hands. But you're saying to put them, put them out on the clubs. Now, what about the possibility of flipping them over and going from the from the butt to the handle, you know, with a club, with the club yeah, balanced sure. there, and then kind of like as, as if a foot juggler was balancing a, a long pole on each foot. And then kicking them from end to end. Yeah. I, so that's my request from you is to uh, catch a balance on each club and then do a couple flip overs. So that's my, if I can request a trick. I can totally try that. But Could you try that? Yeah, I can try it, but no promises. Like it's probably like maybe I can flip from one hand or something. I mean, like just, just, just like maybe to the handle, then back to the butt again. Just, just something that simple. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> I can. I will, I'll try it. I'll see what I can do. But okay, cool. But you know, you don't have to make any more Ring Dama videos. I think that's that's all. That's over with. Ah. Uh, Another one I liked was the. Uh, I thought it was like a back cross behind your head. Could you explain that one? It's like a, it's like a behind the neck throw. Yeah, I think it's like a neck cross. Neck cross. That's what it feels like. You're you're sliding the the handle to the knob and you bring it up from from like a low catch. That's at least my idea of the trick. So it's like. Just changing the position of the back cross to behind that. And it makes it uh, much more difficult, in my opinion. Yeah, it's weird. It's because you're, you're kind of like tilting the club inwards. So you throw it flat behind your head. Like I said, like a back cross. It's weird. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. I trained for that a long time, actually. I don't think it would be so hard if you could throw it a little bit higher and like catch it higher. But uh, the way I do it, I feel like it's... Uh, eh, it's way hard because you have to do a pretty long carry from the low position to up behind the head. You see, it becomes a pretty long carry and the motion has to change direction once you get behind the mm. head. So yeah. it's a bit weird to do. <laughs> it looks weird. It looks, it looks like uh, awkward, but yet it has to be kind of 
correct to do it. Like it doesn't look yeah. like there's much room to do it incorrectly. No, not not the, the version I do. I think, but and then it's it's much easier and nicer to do in combos. Like you can combine it with other trolls to make it uh, much less difficult because it's that one is strict. But say if you mix it with a backcross somewhere, backcrosses are not so strict, so it becomes much easier. Yeah. And do you have any favorite like body throw combinations? I mean, do you have like any combinations of Alberts, Treblas, backcrosses that are sort of you know your go-to's or favorites? Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I usually do just the classic uh, backcross treble Albert and some treble Albert reverse backcross combo. But you also have the record for like that. Uh, what do you call that trick where it's like a reverse backcross where you're catching them behind your back each one? Yeah, just just reverse backcross, right? Yeah, but it's, it's it's really kind of a a difficult one. But you have a record for that as well, don't you? I don't, I'm not sure. I still have that, but maybe I have. Like maybe did I do like two or three minutes or something? I'm not sure now how long I did. It wasn't very long, but I like that trick. I've never been able to do it myself. It just seems like there's something about it I'm not understanding. I enjoy it much more than, say, laces, at least. I like that trick you do. It's kind of a lazy, like with a flourish added to it. Is that one of your original ones? Yeah, I do that in the IGA video too, right? Yeah, it's nice. It's kind of a lazy catch, but you've added an extra flourish. Yeah, it just fits fits nice and makes it like an okay trick, I think. You also had a nice one where you were juggling uh, four clubs you kind of bounced one on the end of the other club, like you kind of hit it with the club upright, and you kind of made it bounce a couple of times on the on the end of the club. I was wondering if that could be done with both clubs. Yeah, I tried that, and uh, it can be done for sure. Yeah, it's pretty chaotic. I was watching. Uh, there's a, a juggler. I think his name is Kellen Quinn. He's doing a lot of what he calls smash tech. Yeah. Like one club knocks into the other one, and you you catch them both. Yeah, uh, I have to attribute the trick I do though to Elias Hedlund. He does it in uh, like a 2006 video. I think mm. all you scientists are crackpots, and it's <laughs> super awesomely good. And uh, he does that also to a, to a balance, and so it's it's basically his trick I'm doing. And when did you come be first aware of those uh, like body throws? Like that's kind of a new thing with the like the the shoulder pads and the. The neck moves and the you know the the rolls over the the neck and and shoulders. That's a very different technique that's been sort of innovated over the last few years. Is that some of yours, or have you sort of seen other people, uh, you know, sort of done tricks uh, that you've seen other people do? How'd that develop? You think? I think uh, the earliest person I saw do that stuff was probably Toby Walker. Mm. He does a pretty advanced version of that kind of thing. And I think that must have been very early on, like early 2000s, maybe. I'm not sure, really. But um, And then uh, I think those tricks started to gain ground uh, 2007, 2008, the shoulder pad thing and the chest placement. I feel like it got kind of popular there. And then uh, also in, uh, is it 9 to 1 Nordic Objects, where uh, a guy does this behind the neck roll thing, where you catch on the body and roll it behind the neck that that's i feel like mm-hmm. the tricks came around um, 2005-ish and developed from there and recently really gained speed and i th- feel like probably south american community are super awesome at that stuff uh, from what i've seen does it have a particular name you think what's that what do they call that just sort of body rolls or uh, club contact club contact i think they call it club contact would probably be the closest descriptor of that now, what about the, the peapot jugglers? Those guys were Swedish, right? What happened to them? Jay Gilligan and um, Finnish, Maxim Kumara and Villavalo, right? Oh, Finnish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, they're not Swedish. They're Finnish. Yeah. They were quite, quite a, uh, they really made quite a statement with their video, you know, the peapot video. But then they kind of vanished, at least yeah. from, uh, from uh, you know, the IJ or the American scene. 
Uh, are you familiar with those guys and what happened to them? Or I don't really know. I went I know. to five through one and uh, met them. Uh, when was that? Two thousand eleven, maybe. Yeah, that five three one. That was sort of a, a festival of experimental juggling. That always sounded very interesting. Yeah. Is that still going? You think, or I mean, obviously not now with the COVID, but. Had that been going up till then, you think, that 531 festival? Maybe sporadically. I'm not really sure. I, I haven't been on it since uh, like 2011-ish, around there, so at least. And what jugglers are you following now? Are you following anybody currently on, on the internet or that you are interested in their work? I browse um, Instagram and uh, Facebook and see people posting like tricks every day, basically. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Uh, Lewis Carson? Carson? The uh, okay. South American yeah, yeah, yeah. juggler. Yeah. He's pretty cool. Yeah, he makes pretty funny videos too. Is he the one that kind of has like a little theme videos with some humor in them as well? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I, I mostly care for the juggling actually. <laughs> His juggling is quite wild. It's quite uh, burly, quite, you know, quite technically hard, but kind of in not the prettiest way, I don't think, you know? Yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, but he pulls the tricks off and that's what sort of what... Uh... Now, one of your favorites was this juggler... Morris Cronin, like he was an old time juggler. Oh, sure. What about Morris Cronin uh, inspired you? Well, it's just cool to hear about him developing so many of my favorite tricks that I juggle today and <laughs> he doing it so early on. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just um, cool to know about. Yeah, he was an early club juggler. He was like one of the guys who was sort of uh, back when they had the, the Harry Lynn clubs, I believe, the heavier wooden clubs. Hmm. Are you working on anything in the, any kind of future juggling developments uh, that are going to rock the juggling world coming up, or we have to wait for a bit? Well, I, I think my next video will be will be hype, but that's um, <laughs> it's it's I, I don't know when it's going to be be out, but it, it will be a different um, different types of props and some different concepts and stuff there. So maybe that will be interesting. Otherwise, um, it's just some some um, collaborations with other people that are hopefully happening some sometime but yeah we'll see well you also like the the Dorzikin platform uh is that something you've been working on that's that it also became kind of popular not popular but at least you saw people doing it uh, that was that's sort yeah. of the platform that's sort of balanced on your forehead and then you bounce a ball on top of it but you had some variations like with uh where you balance it on your foot is that correct yeah that's right i have some um, some tricks with that also, but I don't want to spoil too much. I feel like ah, a lot of, okay. lot of the impact from my videos will be that uh, hopefully people don't see it coming so much. But well, I, I know some tricks are actually spoiled a bit because people have been talking about them some closed groups. But well, I want to keep it secret because it's um, it's nice to have some surprises. Well, I'm sure there'll be surprises. I mean, I think what's so surprising is like your technique is just so amazingly good. I mean, you're. The tricks are really, really difficult. Now, when you do these videos, would you say that a lot of a lot of takes, or is this pretty, are pretty indicative of, of sort of your your abilities? No, it's totally a lot of takes, man. A lot of takes, yeah. That's good to hear. <laughs> I usually don't practice the tricks themselves that I do in the videos. Like I, I gotcha. usually just grind the the technique that that the tricks are built around. So I like run. If I'm if I'm gonna do like uh, shoulder throws uh, with the head balance and then uh, I don't know I, yeah just say that mm -hmm. I would mostly just practice um, a lot a lot a lot of head balance and a lot of shoulder throws not so much the the whole thing together actually gotcha that, that's the sort of thing I would would work on to to push technique in, in the tricks like if you if you wanna do a combo with body throws. I feel like as long as you have really solid body throws, like you have Albert's good, you have Trebla's good, you have reverse back crosses good, then you can do 
basically any sort of combination of those usually unless you come up with some really awkward ones that yeah. say the Albert comes after the reverse back cross catch from from that hand because then you have to do a long carry around the body like something right, like right, that. Right. yeah yeah i see like what's what's each individual pieces together you know, combining them in different combinations is not the difficult part. But it's kind of weird that nowadays, when I was coming up, everybody was better than you saw in video. Because what you saw in video was their show. And so when you saw them practice, they were always doing tricks they never could do in their show because they were so much, you know, they weren't set. They were you know, more, more, much more difficult. Yeah. And now you see a lot of jugglers where you watch them, their videos. And then when you see them in person, you're like, oh, I get it. You know, they're good, but... Yeah, give me a thousand takes at something, which is not doesn't d- diminish it. It's just a different different playing field. It's the reality, I guess. Does I mean. yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool though, like seeing the people who do like big classic performance tricks, and then in practice they can do it like with two more props. That's super awesome. I love that stuff. Yeah, I think like uh, the trick that's impressed me though was that uh, I think it impressed you as well. I think you mentioned it was the the Alberts with seven clubs. Oh yeah. <laughs> Massive. That's like one of that's probably my favorite trick of all time. So, what a good trick! <laughs> I love it. There was another guy who was doing like five ball Alberts, which I thought was he kind of was not not that attractive, but boy, that it seemed very very difficult. Like these body throws, I think once again you just, it helps to have kind of a thinner frame. Yeah, lo- longer arms and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we've come to the end of our time, but it sounds like there's some exciting things on the horizon that we'll have to wait for the surprises you have in store for us. I think I think that's, uh, in, I'm waiting, I can wait. Just let me know and we'll let our audience know about the, the videos coming out. And your health is back to good, which I'm happy to hear. And if I need a bicycle in your neighborhood, I know where to go. What's the best kind of bike to buy? What about these electric bikes? Do you sell a lot of those? Yeah, they have been uh, really gaining traction lately. They are massive now, like it's uh, one third of all sales maybe. Now, my wife and I do want to buy electric bikes. What kind of what brand should we look at? What kind of uh, riding do we do? Do you do mountain biking? Do you... No, we would we have a kind of a path along a coastline that's pretty flat. Like we would like flat and unadventurous. Yeah, so some something comfortable, uh, upright uh, sitting in posture, and um, yeah, like a sta- standard uh, standard bike with uh, engine that's like a motor that's uh, placed in the um, between the the crankset, so you mm-hmm. get uh, a torque sensor. So it's more um, that it follows how how hard you press on the pedals instead of just uh, feeling that you are pressing. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Yes, it's more responsive to the pedals. That sounds Yeah, yeah, sure. We don't get many English-speaking customers. I don't (laughs) get to practice my English so much. I'm sorry. Well, it sounds like you have a nice life, though, because uh, I think nowadays to sort of follow the career of a professional juggler, it's very disruptive to your life. I mean, the amount of travel, the amount of of inconsistency and bookings and very few people have long-term bookings anymore you know like your Dieter Tasso's you know 30 years at the crazy horse or something like that uh-huh. so I think having a job you know a nice job at a bike shop and then being able to follow your passions as a juggler and inventor and live in Sweden it sounds nice to me I hope you I hope your life is nice and you're enjoying yourself and you know of course I wish you the best thank you it's been a good time I hope you enjoyed this I know you had trouble on some podcasts in the past I hope this was able for you to express yourself and i appreciate very much that you're on drop everything thank you so much mr amron roswell thanks amron thank you i hope you enjoy drop everything podcast number 99 my conversation with amron roswell thank you amron don't forget to come back next month for the special 100th edition 
there's going to be some surprises. Let's thank our sponsor one more time, International Jugglers Association. Find out about the International Jugglers Association at juggle.org. All right, now go out there, drop everything, except when you're juggling.